Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. If you're looking to accessorize your uh, desk even more than the uh, pair of Axon mouse pads you got last week, by God, you can get a desk pad this week. All right. So if you want one of those, go to marketingaxontire.com and you will have a soft layer of metric conversions between you and the hard part of your desk so i don't know what you could ask for sean that feels like to me that's a winner i was thinking moving our pajamas but you know that's just me you know maybe a onesie you know what i mean <laughs> and just really really bring it back you know what i'm saying but if you want interested in getting a um, axon desk pad go to marketing and axon tire.com and they will send you that just give them all your information and uh they will give that over to you. So at marketingaxontire.com. Valley Transport's been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment data sales. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks, the Dealer Connect CM, CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected com- customer experiences and transform 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 don't don't firm it just transform it and you can transform how you work sean is with hackett financial out of boca raton florida and he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's uh what's going on in the marketplace sean how you doing this morning i'm doing really good casey really really good well it's good to be back in the swing of our normal schedule here um apologize to all the people out there had to take a couple weeks off had moving iron summit stuff to get ready and everything else so this last uh Three weeks ahead of that of that time frame is a pretty busy time for my wife and I, so got to bang through that. But Sean's back here, and uh, 
Let's spend a little time talking about what we saw come out of the uh, Pro Farmer Tour. You have the uh, uh, Farmer Business Network information and Michael, what's his last name? Michael? Art Cardinier. There you go, that guy. They all came back in with a pretty similar um, estimation of what corn and soybeans would look like. Um, Pro Farmer tagged it at 168.1 bushels an acre on corn and 51.7 bushels an acre on soybeans. Um, Farmers Business Network was like 70 and 50, and um, Cordillon was right around 70, and his soybean number is, I can get back over here real quick, um, looks like his soybean number is about 50.5, so they're all in the same stratosphere anyway, um, but looking at that, and you start looking at what's going on with carryout and everything else, we're in a very tight spot. Um, going into another one of these years. So, I mean, as you guess, as you look at the corn market and you're looking at the soybean market and you're starting to see that weather premium start getting built back in, uh, we've seen about four or five days here, very strong um, run up in price. Um, obviously, there'll be some corrections along the ways and profit taking and those kind of things that are going to mess with price a little bit. But overall, the argument, I guess, can start being made of what's the 23 price need to be to get people to plant X number of acres. So I guess what's your thoughts there, Sean? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, you know, obviously the market never knows for sure what's going to happen with weather, but they have to factor in, the, you know, a, a worst case scenario. Sure. You know, what if South America has another short crop? I mean, let, let's take a step back. I know, you know, a decade ago we warned about the, the coming along of a grand solar cycle minimum that would kick in around 2019 that would lead to a, an expansion of weather volatility for 20 or 30 years. Um, and since 2019, we've seen dramatic increases in weather volatility. Just this year, just, just take a look at the weather volatility we have seen from an historic drought in Europe to an historic drought in southern China, historic flooding in Pakistan, historic um, um, uh, uh, flooding in uh, places like central India. You know, so, so you know, we're, we're seeing these extreme you know, very, very cold, long winter here in the U.S. You know, we're getting more and more of these extreme weather patterns that make it very, very difficult to grow crops consistently. Either you hurt the crop in the beginning, you hurt the crop in the middle, or you hurt the crop in the end, but it seems like you just can't have a season where you have a good runway through that has you have, that allows you to have that bin buster crop that we were, that was pretty commonplace, you know, during the, the more normal with volatility years mm -hmm. and and as you know this cycle we think is going to get worse i mean we're going to get more volatile you know the gliceberg cycles we've talked about before is coming up here in 24 25 so nothing about the weather is going to ease back on the ability to grow food and so i think this is a great example you know we had a, a very difficult planting season we had a good start and oh, you know the the, the, the you know the and, and, and the the middle was all right, and now we're having kind of a uh, a bifurcated finish, and the crops are okay, but not great. But in this environment, Casey, that's not good enough, right? That's not good enough. Even just take a look at corn crop in Brazil, supposed to be this record crop. Everyone thought it was a record crop. The exports out of Brazil are not showing up. They're not showing up. They're not showing up, and that means. They don't have the crop everybody thought. Brazil does not hold crop back. They've never, they always sell. They have right. it. 
And so now everyone's downgrading the corn crop from last year. And not that it's a bad crop, but compared to what everyone thought it was, now it's just going to be good, but not great. But in an environment where we have no ending stocks, Casey, we need great, not good. Right. Now, what happens if we get bad? Not, you know, okay, to, you know, we've, we've had okay crops and we're struggling to keep supplies going. If we have a bad, like if we have this Gleisberg cycle in 24, 25, and, we, and U.S. comes offline with a 2012-style production shortfall, you know, then we enter a completely different situation than what we're in. What we're in right now is we have just enough. We have just enough. We enter something like that, then we don't have enough. And there's a very different uh, pricing structure between we have just enough to we don't have enough. And what that might mean geopolitically, what that might mean for in terms of currencies, what that might mean in terms of government policy, protectionism, stockpiling. I mean, you know, it, we were, you know, it, there's a lot of things that go into what that means when food actually runs out for certain countries who don't have the ability to grow enough of their own food. The United States is fortunate that even in a scenario like a Gleisberg cycle, we would still have enough food to produce for ourselves, albeit we'd have to pay a much higher price for it. Other countries couldn't get the food for any price. And that's right. where, I, where I think we might be heading into if we have a, a big country come offline like I think could happen in 24-25. So. so the question I have, and I think about this quite a bit, so the Glassberg cycle like you're talking about, 24-25, um, let's say next year comes around and it's it's different than what you say it's going to be. It's not we don't have the the uh, the early frost and, and a late frost type of thing, and, and it's a it's just a typical winter, and, and things are good. We start planting, um, you know, April fifteenth, like we like everywhere does. You know, we're throwing and going, getting after it. Have a have a great growing season. Have a bumper crop. Things go out of control, and then the Glassberg cycle twenty four twenty five happens, and we have this epic drought um, come through. Now. North America going into uh, uh, a La Nina cycle or an El Nino cycle where that is more favorable towards those yes. growing cycles. But if you have one one just out out of control, just amazing year, right? And then you you follow that up with a year or two of a pretty epic drought. I mean, you're you're even worse off now than you started, correct? Well, I mean. We are anticipating much better production in the next crop cycle. You know, we've been clear about this right. in prior, and I want to be very, very clear that we actually think we're going to be able to get ahead of the curve here a little bit in the next crop cycle. South America and the U.S. I believe are going to have some very, very good crops that will add some buffer. Not, you no, know, not the whole thing, but add some buffer to what's coming. But the crop shortfalls we're talking about in 24-25, especially in the U.S., are so. Would be so substantial, um, you know that 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 what one good year isn't going to save save it. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, we're not going to get the three billion bushels of corn. I guess is what I'm getting at. You know, we had back in 2020 at three billion, three and a half billion bushels of corn. We're not getting back to three three and a half billion bushels of corn. If we have a really really good year coming up, uh, you know, maybe we get back to you know 1.8. Maybe two billion bushels max, right? And that, but that's that's not enough. I mean, that's not enough to handle to, to handle a crop shortfall. Um, that's not enough, you know, to handle half a crop shortfall. 
So, but it would allow a brief window of opportunity for countries who don't have enough to get some. Meaning, if, if I'm thinking this through, if, if someone, if, if Sri Lanka or Indonesia or some country or China, you know, knows that they don't have enough food and they need to, and, and they, they think Sean's correct about what's going to happen here in 24, 25, um, then I would be a very substantial stockpile when they're getting as good. You know, build up those reserves so when the gavel falls down in 2025, you have enough food to get through it because you, you prepared in advance of this potential risk factor that's coming. Um, my hope is that enough countries or enough people uh, get that message and can take positive action in the next 12 months when there is going to be some supply, there is going to be some lower prices, there is going to be some bearishness in the market to get themselves in a position where they can actually get through a period of food crisis. Um, because if they do not, then they're going to fall by the way of a Sri Lanka situation where the food is out, the people are angry, and they're looking for blood. Mm -hmm. and, and we've seen this throughout history that dynasties and governments and, and countries fall repeatedly when the food runs out and the population wonders, how did this happen? Right. You know? Yep. Yeah, lots to think about there. All right, so speaking of harvest and, and stuff going on, so Ukraine had another six ships get out of the uh, Black Sea uh, ports today, and they're bringing, uh, so that's a total of 61 vessels that have left there. So now you've got two things going on in Ukraine right now. And Russia, both that are that's very very important and very timely is that you've got, especially in Ukraine, you have a, a big, vast number of, of of men and women that are are fighting uh, the war in Russia, but they're also trying to harvest their their crop right now, and the same thing is going on in Russia too. So you've got this kind of, you know, bifurcation, I guess, of, of of what they're supposed to be doing and, and how they're handling those things. Um, looking at that situation. Um, especially with a mounting, um, uh, you know, assault coming uh, that Zelensky keeps talking about with uh, Ukraine. Um, the weather window. I don't know how many people have been to Ukraine, but middle winter in Ukraine is is no is no joke. Um, right. It's cold and it snows and it's cold and it snows. So there's it does those two things pretty well uh, during that time frame. So they have a short window to do two things, get their harvest out and also have this, this assault. So, and same with Russia. Russia's got the exact same issue as well. Looking at that situation, Sean, um, I, I guess how positive are you that even though they do have these massive bumper crops over there right now, um, how, 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 how good do you feel about those, those actually getting to market? I think it really comes down to what Europe how Europe's going to handle things this winter. I mean, they're going into a catastrophic energy crisis. Yes, they are. If they don't get natural gas coming in from Russia. Yep. And I mean, like, they're going to shut down. It's going to be like COVID all over again. Europe's going to shut down again. Yeah. Because no one can <laughs> operate any plant without energy. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's, 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 it just almost seems like a lockdown situation if they don't I, I just feel the leaders of Europe can't go into this winter without doing something to offer an olive branch to Russia to do something to provide a, a, a conduit for some 
new normal to allow them to get through this winter. And, and, and of course, remember they, this drought that they've had in terms of catastrophic low corn feed, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, animal situation devastated over there because of the drought. I mean, that, their food situation is in really bad shape. So I just think when you're looking at low food, low energy, wintertime coming, I just, I just can't imagine that they can go into that and say, well, we're just going to shut down and I think they're going to have to do something. I mean, th- this is just me speculating. I'm, you know, like I said, when, when you're talking geopolitics, it's hard to know if and when what will happen. But I just can't imagine that Europe is going to go into the winter without doing something to open up food supplies and energy supplies and, make, and, and give them a, um, you know, a window, a conduit to, to get through this rough patch. I just think they have to look at the needs of the many are going right. to have to outweigh the needs of the few. I think at, at some point they're going to have to do that. And so ultimately I think that's what will happen um, and how it comes about. And maybe this conduit opening between the broker deal between Turkey and maybe, the, maybe this is the, the early way that this whole agreement that's still underway that might actually include Europe at some point. Maybe this is all part of that plan of how Europe finds a way to save face and, and, and do what they actually need to do for their people and, and so they don't starve to death and freeze to death. Yeah. You know? So that was my next topic was, was just energy as a whole. You're looking at what's, what you see happening with, uh, with oil. You had a good run-up yesterday. You look at natural gas, it just continues to climb across the board. Um, you know, we talked about fertilizer. We had a special where we did just fertilizer here. I just released that um, over the weekend. So or that's out there. But I guess looking at those energy as we start heading into harvest, and a lot of guys have pre-contracted their their stuff that they need going into that. But you start looking at, at diesel costs still above, you know, four dollars a gallon. Um, off-road diesel still around anywhere between three eighty and four fifty a gallon, depending on where you're at. Um, you start looking at natural gas and eight and nine dollar natural gas, and you know, get over into Europe. It's you know whatever 30 or 40 bucks uh, you know a unit over there and you start looking at fertilizer and that's going to start playing out in those those scenarios looking at the energy situation right now sean what are your thoughts there and, and how do you think that's going to impact what what people decide to do going into 23 um, as far as as uh, deciding what crops are going to get what well where would where would crude oil prices be uh where would diesel prices be where would gasoline prices be if we weren't dumping strategic petroleum reserves onto the market? Yeah. Where, where, where would we be? I'm not smart enough to know what the price would be. It would be substantially yeah. higher. It'd be more than what it is now. Yeah. And we won't continue to sell that. Um, my belief is that as soon as the elections are over, that will stop Right. Um, almost immediately, I believe. Um, and, then, and, then, and so if that's correct, that, if that artificial supply comes offline or, or either because we stop it or we just sold as much as we can sell. Um, is there spare capacity, oil production capacity in the U.S.? Is there spare capacity uh, in Middle East to dramatically increase production over the next 12 months? The answer is no, there's not. In fact, repeatedly, Saudi Arabia has missed their production quota targets month after month after month after month. And there's only one reason why they missed the quotas because they don't have the spare capacity that they claim they have. Mm-hmm. And not going to come out and tell everybody because 
you know, they always, they, their power is, oh, we have all this oil, we could dump it on the market at any moment. I actually believe that's not the case anymore. I believe they actually are at max spare capacity. That doesn't mean they can't invest. They can't, you know, but that takes a long time, Casey. That's right. years. Um, and, and yeah, we, we can incrementally grow production here a little bit, but we, we, we told everyone for the last three years, you're, you know, stop. And everyone in the government is telling you stop. And so now we're telling you, please do it, do it now. And, and it's just, I don't see anything going on with the spare capacity in the industry that's going to allow dramatic increases in natural gas or crude oil globally anytime soon. And so if we do remove that strategic petroleum reserve pressure, um, unless we go into a complete depression from, from a demand standpoint, um, you know, energy prices are going to stay high and go considerably higher over the next 12 months. Um, until such time that either, you know, we get that spare capacity going again, or, or the high energy prices does put us into a, a depression or deep recession where demand just falls off and the price comes down. Either way, you know, I definitely would want to make sure my energy needs are protected to the upside. If you're a cash buyer of crude, if you're a cash buyer of propane, if you're a cash buyer of natural gas, LNG, I certainly want to make sure my upside price risks are uh, handled, uh, you know, because I, I, I think this period of correction that we've seen in crude oil, remember we were 125, you know, now we're in the low 90s. I mean, that's one heck of a correction. I think this is an opportunity in the energy, in the crude oil area. Um, and, um, and, and we might get that opportunity in natural gas as we go into the next couple of months where demand tends to fall down a little bit um, because of seasonality. Um, there might be an opportunity to, uh, to do something with natural gas. So I guess bottom line is, to me, upside price risks are where I'm worried versus the downside here. Right on. Right on. All right. Let's talk about the protein markets real quick. Um, cash hogs um, continue to slide. You see some, some weakness there. Um, these kind of can, can keep, not big slides, but they're just you're just seeing a steady erosion of the price. And you know cattle prices right now are doing the same thing. You see some some averages uh, week over week that are showing some some either steady to weakness type of approach there. So obviously we're outside of that that uh, seasonality you know, where we're going to see a, a more demand. But that being said, you know hog hog herds and cattle herds both are at all times low. So I guess looking at this, Sean, what what are your thoughts there? Well, we always have to separate the short term mm -hmm. from the longer term. The short term picture is. When the feed price goes up, cattle prices come sure. down. It's yep. just that simple. We're having a bit. We've had you know, corn is a dollar twenty off the lows from late July. A dollar twenty. Um, that pressures cattle prices. Seasonally, cattle prices like to correct in the month of September. So we're at the wrong time of the year for the market to do be strong. Um, longer term, though, next year. Beef production in the U.S. is expected to fall between 1.6 and 1.8 billion pounds, or 7% reduction in U.S. beef supplies um, for next season due to lower animal feeding units um, due to the herd liquidation we've had in the last several years. So, so the, the, the question becomes, can the U.S. economy be so bad that a 7% decline in beef prices will, it will, will not allow for a substantial increase in 
the cattle price or the demand for cattle. Um, our guess is that the economy, U.S. economy, will be good enough that a 7% decline in beef production, by the way, unprecedented, by the way, that kind of year-over-year decline, unprecedented. Our belief is that that kind of, kind of decline and, you know, is, is going to lead to a significant increase in the demand for less animals coming to the market as herd rebuilding takes over. And so beyond the short-term correction that we've been warning about to our customers in our reports, um, the intermediate term picture still looks very, very bright to us. And so we still are very favorable towards uh, the cattle price from, you know, let's say fourth quarter, especially late fourth quarter onward. Now, hog price is an international market, whereas the beef price, the cattle price is pretty much a local market, right? So the cattle, the, the, the hog price in China skyrocketing, it's actually made new highs here just recently. Um, we've talked about this before that they had this massive secondary liquidation of hogs due to ASF and also just terrible economics. Uh, it flooded the market with pork and they had a crash. And we lost demand from China. Now their hog price is going through the roof, meaning the hog liquidation is over. And that means that the herd rebuilding is back. And that means that pork production is going to crash at a time that uh, China needs maximum pork supplies uh, by the end of the year to satisfy the demand during their January, February holiday season every year. And so it's our anticipation that they are going to be coming in and being very large buyers of U.S. pork as we move into the fourth quarter. And given the mini crash we've seen in the hog price, um, you know, if you look at like the February price, we, we, were in the, we were in the low 90s and we came into the low mid 80s. We think, you know, that the hog price is already more than factored in, you know, any short-term demand issues and increased weights that we've been seeing. And now we're going to need to price in this strong demand coming back from China that we think is going to be a good tail win for the market heading into the end of the year. So we think now that this correction in hogs is over or has already occurred, we're pretty, com pretty comfortable with a better price heading into the end of the year. So we think cash buyers of hogs, this is a good spot to be, you know, getting some of that, uh, um, you know, getting some of that bought in and, and, and protecting your upside price risks. So we're, you know, I think the cattle price has lower to go. I think the hog price is already corrected and factored most of it in. So right on. Okay. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information about our weather algorithm, our smart money capital algorithm, and just how we go about trying to price forecast markets so that everyone in the agricultural uh, space can bring some more money home. So. Right on, man. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and see the video version of this podcast at the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, which is just the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. I really went out on a limb with that creative ability on that one, Sean. But check that out if you're interested in seeing that stuff. Uh, go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Got a couple blog posts I need to get posted up there so you can see some stuff there and uh, all the information on the moving iron summit will be there as well too um that's sold out so if you just want to see the agenda you can check that out so other than that um we'll catch you next year and but sean's going to be there he's going to give his uh give his presentation 
about a lot of stuff that you hear on this podcast, you know, weather, what sees happening, the weather, how that's going to affect the markets and those kind of things. So, Sean, I'm looking forward to that. I really am. It's our, you know, as I said, our, our presentation has dramatically changed because of the shift from La Nina to El Nino. So it's going to be a lot of new stuff, totally uh, virgin territory for anyone that's listened to us speak over the last couple of years when we were at in more of an, a La Nina orientation. So I think, um, I think it's going to be a really good presentation and I think it's going to bring a lot of new information to light about how weather's going to change, where it's going to change for the better and where it's going to change for the worse. Right on. So, okay. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Always a pleasure, uh, Casey, and look forward to doing it next week. So, Me too. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Haggett. Let's go some iron folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher.